I think there's a lot of C-suite people. If you really went up to them and said, do you know your customer? Do you really, really be annoying? Do you really, really know your customer? And then if you had several layers of toddler, why, why, whys, you'd get to the fact that the CEO of this company has never personally asked his customer directly how they feel about a hundred different issues. Hello and welcome to Minter Dialogue, episode number 365. Today is Sunday the 22nd of March 2020. My name is Minter Dial and I'm your host for this podcast. If you like this show, please do think to rate us. And if you haven't subscribed yet, don't forget to do so to catch all the future episodes. Today's interview is with John Burkhardt. John is a speaker, content strategist, and author of several books, including Newsjacking and Hacker Maker Teacher. He also co-founded Fast Forward Forum, the ultimate non-conference where guests share the stage. In this conversation with John, we discuss the issues, challenges, and some solutions for brand marketers in today's roller coaster world, how to create a powerful brand story and generate standout content. We also look at how to supercharge your webinars. You'll find all the show notes on minterdial.com. Now for the interview. Well, well, well. John Burkhardt, great to have you on the show. When I was preparing for the chat, it's not very often I meet somebody, only now, uh, where someone with whom I share 54 connections on LinkedIn. And by the way, I'm very selective, so I feel like that is something. In your own words, Dave, John, tell us who you are. Okay, so I am, um, I am a very curious person who happens to channel his passion into his work, despite what people say that that's a bad thing. I have been finding a way to love marketing by trying to work for brands that I care about in sport and in travel, um, and genuinely. Uh, helping them be more curious with their content. Well, that sounds like a great place to be. You're a man full of energy, so you're a speaker, author of several great books, and the last one I, I saw, you contributed to Fast Forward fi- fi- Files, right? Yes, FFF. Yes, yeah, tell us about the uh, FFF. So Fast Forward Files is the book from the conference, and the conference is Fast Forward Forum, and Be very careful when you're in the Balkans because you may find yourself with a crazy Austrian uh, dancing on bollards and dreaming up an idea for what I called an unconference because I couldn't think of another word for it, but one where we get a small group of hand-selected people coming there to provoke 18 minutes uh, on stage, interactive thing with a lot where the questions and answer period afterwards was more important than the actual speeches because it was all crafted on provocation and then turned into a book within 31 days. Wow. Well, that, that's of course how we really shook hands for the first time thanks to Carla Johnson, who's also part of the FFF. She is my double act partner. I got her involved in our first year. We met on the dance floor at Content Marketing World, and I just saw someone that I wanted to be with, and we care about the same things around um, innovation, 
even the E word that you care about, empathy, is uh, is part of our performance as well. And yeah, Carla is uh, one of my people. I would say she's one of our people. And then I have to go back and find out who our other 53 people in common are. I bet you it's these people that I love that I feel like they're people that I would want to bring out of my pocket and pet them from time to time. It's those type of people. Well, if any of them are listening, then give us a little shout out to Please both do. of us. You were talking about uh, in, in the Balkans, this event, and, and you know, both of us being speakers and the tragedy or difficulty of, of uh, everything that's happened with the virus and stopping these in, in-person meetings. Yet, I think that the thing that defines a great event is when the questions and answers and the networking is the strongest part. Because as much as you and I think we're great on stage and we've got great content and we're so smart <laughs> and all this, it's really the Q&A where the engagement happens. It's really the over the tequila at night at mm. South By or in the networking caf- cafe sessions uh, in between the conferences that where it happens and the great thing about the event that you went to and I got a little bit of a window into it was the quality of the people in the room absolutely and what what is really incredible you can't always kind of uh, you can't always know who you're going to talk to I hate the fact that no conference organizer has ever like knowingly undersold their audience they're always telling me oh, we only have decision makers in the room. And then you get there and the decision makers were too busy to be there. So they sent their middle and lower management folks to be there anyway. So you never know who you're going to talk about. So when you can orchestrate your own conference, when you can get um, people that I call um, provocateurs, um, they were like a, a friend of mine, Mateo, who runs a sort of luxury jet company. He came along the first year. He, To me, genuinely... He was the most important person in the room because he wouldn't put up with any of our BS. He would be, are you sure about that? So, yes, I admit he probably has a little bit of devil's advocate in him. But I can honestly say the conversation um, was flowing as much as the late night whiskey, for sure. So what do you get when you put a a rebel with a devil's advocate. Oh, wow. You get, uh, A, you don't ha- have much hair <laughs> afterwards. Um, I actually pulled it, all the hair out of my, out of my um, aging uh, gray and red goatee beard. But I, I, I would say what you get is uh, never a dull moment. You don't, uh, you don't, um, you don't, say random off-the-cuff things because you know they'll just um, be shot down. Either that or you do just for the fun of it to see what can you get away with, which is nothing. You know, and and just to finish on on the idea of conferences today, it's almost like, especially in your case with this event that you co-founded, that you should sell the people in the room more than the people on the stage. Absolutely. Wow. I, I really wish that for year three of the Fast Forward Forum that we could even go a step farther with our curation of the audience. Um, I don't – not enough – energy is is focused on who's going to be in the room who's going to not put up with your bs who's going to make it better and also different temperaments different personalities what do you do with shy people at a conference and what you do is you 
orchestrate the whole event around movement. So you say, well, we're going to have Sandra in the pizza kitchen and then Jaimo in the kids' playroom, and then Pete, we're going to have to have him in the gallery d'art uh, in between the buildings on this island uh, off, the, off of Venice. And with that movement and with the conversation flowing, you would just find quiet people laddering up to people that uh, provoked them on stage, but they never, ever, ever would have asked a question publicly. Right. So they latched on. It was You could almost see the, the quiet vultures in between sessions because we literally had to walk like five minutes to the next talk, mm-hmm. and you would see them just latch on to people and ask private one-to-one one conversations. Right. It was beautiful. because mm-hmm. like, And some people didn't speak English as a first language, right. which that was the official language sure. of the conference. And, and, and so sometimes the speakers would latch on yeah. to the quiet people and say, I, you didn't really say much, but you, you've had a brilliant opinion on the WhatsApp group for the last year. What mm. do you think? And I love being able to deal with different temperaments mm. and different, uh, so not all the loud people got a stage. Like you and me, the <laughs> extroverts. Indeed, indeed. So um, you, you work really a lot on branding and storytelling and, and also content marketing and marketing in general, but especially if you looked at the industries in which you seem to work the most, John, how do you describe the problem that brand managers, marketers are facing today, and how do you help them? Okay, so the the problem, I think, is simple, and it is exactly the position of your microphone, which is in my face. So a brand, when you stick a microphone in their face, they're naturally, it would be very foreign, like I'm, what I'm now doing physically is I'm moving your hand in the microwave away from me. It's not a normal action. They have a microphone, they want to shout. Who do they shout about? Who do they feel most comfortable shouting about? It's themselves. So if we take the microphone off of them, I'm going to give you an example because I have to, because I get excited. I am obsessed with similar things to what you're obsessed with. You're obsessed with Liverpool and the Philadelphia Flyers. So um, if uh, if you really had to just talk about how the Flyers are doing, they, you know, I could talk box scores, I could just give you highlights, but why don't we be vulnerable for a moment and go over to like a story that's unexpected based on a fan? Like, do you know what has just entered the Hockey Hall of Fame. It is one of the most embarrassing stories for the um, Carolina Hurricanes. Um, It could be seen as this. What happens when a hockey team, their two goalkeepers, get injured? Right. Do you know what happens? Oh, the Toronto story. (laughs) So David Ayers, a 42-year-old recent kidney transplant yeah. he runs he driver. runs the zamboni right. uh on toronto's eyes toronto uh, i i know maple leaf sports entertainment folks well from my sports marketing days so i know uh david who runs their connections he would have been thrilled at this story because essentially they have to in the law bylaws of the nhl 
they have to have somewhere in the building an emergency hockey goalie and uh, even for the backup team even for even for the, the other, other team. team which is just insane it is. so essentially a toronto native who's been a uh, toronto maple leafs fan for many many years probably all of his 42 years cuz you know how toronto are crazy into their hockey all Canadians oh yes indeed he had to be the Carolina Hurricanes um, goalkeeper in real in real life they they were injured so so the Zamboni driver padded up he and he let two goals in you're like first two shots the first two shots So, so you're like oh my god he's gonna lose this because he's a Maple Leafs he's a Leafs fan and then some something within his inner being his 42 years and he does train with the team to be fair he's an amateur so he doesn't get money but he gets like you know free um, hot dogs or whatever and he found it within himself after letting his first two shots in to make eight incredible saves and his team not the Leafs his team the Carolina Hurricanes won and um He's gotten sponsorship deals. His oh, hockey wow. stick has gone into the National Hockey Stick Hockey the NHL Hall of Fame. This is a story of doom and failure for the Hurricanes. They they injury. They they were and it's it's this human story. It's in, yeah. it's imperfect. It's a random bylaw of the league. But I wish brands could embrace their perfection, embrace their fans, put their fans on the court. Mm-hmm. There's so many lessons for marketing of around being curious and 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 just going with something that feels wrong, feels raw. It's not perfect, but if we could bake this imperfection into our stories, this transparency, I think it would be less about shove the microphone in the star's face mm-hmm. and more about more about what what do the fans want to see? What are the stories that are raw and imperfect like David Ayers, the kidney transplant, now National Hockey League hero? All right, so of course I love that story, John. <laughs> Fantastic. Uh, well, and a shout out to my friends in Toronto mm. and Carolina for that matter, but when you're in business, though, John, this seems so hard to do. And we, you know, people have so many fears, and it's not going to be right, and someone's going to complain. So if you're talking to the CEO or the CMO, the chief marketing officer, how do you convince them to move towards that? Of course, they're not going to have the David Ayers in their cupboard. No. But in, in order to get there, what, what are the mechanisms and arguments that you think are are convincing enough to bring them along to be this rebel? So I would have to say, unfortunately, we're going to have to throw out that cliche of um, prior planning uh, prevents piss poor performance, the three P's of marketing, different three P's. But I would say what we have to do is have a little session with the CEOs and literally come up with these, I, I, I call it, be the annoying toddler. So on average, um, toddlers ask probably 200 plus questions why, a day. Daddy? Yeah, and why is one of them. And after you get past the first why, you have an arsenal, a litany of three or four more whys coming where you want to just hurt yourself. So this, can you imagine a CEO leading a session 
amongst his, we'll say, let's say one of the Toronto Maple Leaf sponsors. One of the sponsors was was in the arena there and really, Bell. yeah, exactly, Bell. It was really, I have a jersey uh, with them on it. What if they, and they were really struggling. Uh, they weren't getting maximum value, but what if they, um, I had to chat with uh, Maple Leaf Sports Entertainment about this very thing because they had a mop company. And they take their creatives to their sponsorship meetings um, and they literally live brainstorm. And what most people would be would do is say, I'm sorry, the mop company is an inappropriate, it's a domestic good, it, it, it doesn't feel, it doesn't fit with the Maple Leafs arena. It doesn't, in this case, it was the Raptors, so it doesn't feel right. But instead, the creators are like, whoa, 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 don't throw that out just yet. What is, we have we have floor that we have to wax every, um, after every um, game. game, yeah, for the for the Raptors. Basketball uh, team. Basketball team, yeah. So they, they, they found a way for, um, to, to weave it in naturally where the five on the floor... Um, to announce the lineups, so you know it's uh, the five on the floor, and the, the, you know the, the mops come out. The, the, this is who we're going to be mopping up, or whatever. Um, the guards, the guards, and you know, everyone. You know, in my as a Memphis Grizzlies fan, John Morant is on the floor most of the time because he jumps over six foot seven Kevin Love to, to posterize him and ruin his life. So naturally, when you do lots Just of so. dunks, you will fall down on the floor, and you got to bring the mops out. So. I love the fact that any brand, if, if applying the right amount of creativity, uh, can come up with a way to fit, in this case, sports sponsorship to, to fit a team. But I would say if we go back to non-sport related, then it's about having a question, a toddler session. Ask, on average, the Daily Telegraph says that toddlers only ask 73 a day. I challenge you, mentor, do you think your clients have asked 73 questions and have really gotten into the heads properly, this E word you use, empathy, where they really gotten into like the uncomfortable, not the rational like wins the match, wins the game, but the uncomfortable questions of like, why does people come to our store to fight? Like with Ikea, that's one of my, what I call a firecracker question, because the reality is a lot of people get in arguments in Ikea. They realize that their partner has bad taste. I went to Ikea with my future wife one week before our wedding day, and um, I lost my Nokia N95 um, smart, smartish phone um, at the time. I lost it in one of the sofas, one of the uncomfortable sofas that she picked out, and I just found out that she had bad taste. I'm marrying this girl in seven days, and I don't like her taste. IKEA have built their customer journey around d- dissolving, di- diffusing that conflict that couples have when they go to pick out their first flat together. And they know that's an uncomfortable truth, but that only came out as a firecracker question because they asked, I would say, on average up to 73 to come up with what are, what are, what's the tension, where's the truth and the pain, um, which is obviously the definition of comedy, but where is, when we're going to find our story, and our story of uh, obviously is a, our customer's story, that's what matters the most, when we're finding that customer story, how can we have imaginative answers, and how can we ladder it back to the empathy, and then just go out and test it? It's a formula I call quiet. Starts with questions, then apply imagination to the best questions, then do your word, um, artificial empathy, the E, empathy, I see which ones of those imaginative answers really relate back 
to the person that just wants to fight in Ikea and then just go out and see what works. Put them out on social and you'll know based on the feedback and the traffic and the questions or the absolute tumbleweed what, what worked. So in, in answer then, it seems that you need to get in touch with your customers and probably get some insights and, and data points. The thing that that I, I, I've found always interesting with regard to this question is that let's say that they're the same customers that might walk into a furniture store A and a furniture store B. Mm. So it's the same people that could have an argument because they might also have an argument in furniture store A. The, the, the interesting thing is to try to create the independent story or the one that's specific to your cases. And, and I, maybe because it's bigger in Ikea, you can scream a lot yeah. more. Yeah, yeah. What, are, what are the insights that, that you can own? Because ultimately the issue is it's got to be something that stands out for you mm-hmm. and is not something that can be owned by other furniture stores in this case. So how, does, how do you come across those things and, and, and own it more? I think the example I gave you, bang on, you could go into this this company on my high street in Ealing called Stressless. They make these really posh like sofas. And that insight could be relative to this Pitshanger furniture store. So when you go deeper into the customer journey beyond just couples fighting, you go deep into the ethos of the brand. Mm-hmm. IKEA were the first to make people put their furniture together like it doesn't come built mm-hmm. they they made their name on you put it together and yes it's been a difficult struggle I can't put anything together to save my life I read the instructions which might as well be in Swedish um, I can't understand them either but what that what IKEA have spent a lot of time doing because they're an international brand is digging into the culture of the country that they're expanding into. Mm -hmm. They realized in India, no one puts stuff together. That's seen as a a lower, beyond a class. Yes, beyond your class. The people that go to Ikea would never do that. So they, um, to save the environment, they have rickshaws. They're all decorated in beautiful, artistic, uh, uh, natural to the region, uh, part of India they're in. And they... You buy your IKEA furniture. They put it together, uh, and they put they take it on the rickshaw to your house and put it together for mm, you. It's, it's very, very culturally. It's, it's culturally, yeah. And all of these the Indian folk that now work um, in the in the town in India that has the IKEA, they were trained for a month in Sheffield. They were asked loads of questions. Then they went back and they had to apply that Sheffield IKEA training to their culture and then they just said hands up we're not doing this letting people put stuff together it's just not within our culture to do that so they established that and I love Ikea I mean I've had conversations with the lady who's the head of um, Ikea in the Netherlands and she just it's they really really try to be culturally specific so those questions that you ask they have to be related to your culture your particular something you can own and i think mm. india can own the sort of solar powered rick, artistic rickshaws that go and put your uh, furniture together for you because that's within their culture mm-hmm. um, we couldn't get away with that in sheffield mm-hmm. for sure so in in brand storytelling uh, let's say that a lot of people grab mics and, and scream their stories mm. what are some of the 
tips or thoughts and lessons you've learned, especially with the clients you're working with, in crafting great brand stories? So I think you have to go back um, to why a story. Why, why, like when I think of a brand story, someone would say, oh, you mean that's your mission statement? Is that just the about us part of your website? And then you have to say, no, 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 no. That is not, a, a, it's not even your story. Your story is one aspect, but the brand story is encompasses, as we've mentioned, customer stories. But I think we have to go back to what is a good story and what does a good story do? And a good story provokes change. And a good story is, it starts with the way we feel um, these stories demand emotions. Uh, in the case of the hockey, it demands joy. It sparks that joy. Um, it's the way we feel, but it's also the way we think. Um, stories, they have to peak and actually hold your interest um, and get you scratching your head and thinking. And then uh, the finally, not only feel, it's the way we think, but it's the way we act. And I love that. I, I love that we can get a brand acting responsibly because of our green initiatives to be solar powered and, our, and the rickshaws that bring your furniture. Um, again, feel, think, and act. Once, once, So we can come up with stories that really ladder onto any of those three, feel, think, and act. Um, and then we just have to then test them out to see which ones relate specifically in the same way that people went back to India from Sheffield and said, nope, those stories ain't going to work in our country, but this solar-powered rickshaw, bang on, that's a story that will represent our people. Mm. So of all the three words between feeling, thinking, and acting, the one that I feel is the hardest to convince top management to get into is the feeling one. Mm. And it it feels (laughs) weighed down with risk and, and parts of me that I'm not comfortable with. And so how do you... What kind of insights do you have to allow for a very intelligent, albeit C-suite, to get into or open up to, embrace the idea of feelings and the messiness that comes with it? I would say you need to take them out of the C-suite and get them on the on the floor, on the factory floor, whatever, if it's a B2B client, on the shop floor, on the restaurant floor. But um, I I was speaking at a conference in Denmark a few months ago, and um, the three words, I hate to admit this, but I think there's a lot of C-suite people that you could say, if you really went up to them and said, do you know your customer do you really, really be annoying? Do you really, really know your customer? And then if you had several layers of toddler why, why, whys, you'd get to the fact that the CEO of this company has never personally asked his customer directly how they feel about a hundred different issues. He, he may have read a spreadsheet, he or she may have read a spreadsheet about and seen some anecdotal evidence or blah de blah but I don't know, I don't, until you get face-to-face with your customer, you know, uh, Greg Dyke, when he took over the BBC, he made a point to going face-to-face with pretty much every employee um, and getting to find out how they felt. Of course, you start off with chit-chat and banter and you, what do you think about this? But after a decent amount of time, if you're an empathetic human being, you get beyond thinking and you get into feeling. And that is where 
once the C-suite knows how they feel, then when they say something that seems like marketing BS, then they're like, mm, that is really going to ring falsely with our employees, which will then ring falsely with our customers, which will then lead us into a place where we're not going to grow. So I'm, I'm listening and I'm thinking, well, I read the survey, I read the study, 350,000 customers want this. And, and it feels to me that that's where the comfort factor is for, for, for CEOs. And the other little voice in my head says, well, you know, I go down, this, this is one store, one customer I see. I can't make an entire strategic decision based on this. What's the role of intuition in your mind, John, as you work with your customers? I think everyone will start with the data. Um, and then I think you have to realize that there are, um, I think maybe even Gladwell wrote the book uh, around outliers. Um, there are little anomalies out there where they don't really make sense um, uh, some of the things that uh, the the travel brands that I've worked in, particularly within adventure travel, some of the things they've had to do to surprise and delight their customers. You even mentioned one yourself when we're having a bit of pre-recording banter around your favorite, um, uh, was it alcohol or was it gin? Mm-hmm. Um, Lagavulin. Lagavulin, yes. Scotch. Scotch, yes, sorry. Lagavulin, Scotch. Um, and how you, you had both bottles and then you went back to your hut and they had four they doubled it and and they did the same thing for green tea with your wife i I love the i actually genuinely think surprise and delight doesn't always the data doesn't always confirm those i think your humanity confirms those Mm -hmm. because i think on a spreadsheet your expensive um scotch doubling that knowing you and your love of it, you're going to lose money off of that provocation, but oh no, you're not, because you have been telling that story. Uh, just I'm one of our mutual friends, I'm sure, is Jay Bear and these talk trigger things that he's been talking about. Mm-hmm. That's a talk trigger that you keep telling people. Because I was, it. I mean, literally, when you were telling me that story, because I, I think back to my friends who work for these safari companies, I'm like, I want to go tell them that. <laughs> I want to go tell them, yeah. like, Mentor has this story. Have yeah. you done that? Yeah. And they'll be like, that's going to cost us money. Right. We, you have people who love scotch that much. If you if you put four bottles, the next yeah. day you're going to have to put eight. eight. If you put eight, you yeah. have to put 16. Yeah. Yeah. It, sorry, John, that is does, does not make financial sense. And I'm saying my question to you is, then why don't you do it? Because right. <laughs> Minter is still talking about That's that. It. And, and, <laughs> and I'm going to mention the place called, it's called Pinda Forest. Oh, I love that because Pinda, you even told me the name of it is like uh, built into like a repeat visit, right? Yeah, so it said that Pinda means to return in Zulu. <laughs> So, so I shall return, <laughs> said Mr. MacArthur, General MacArthur. Yeah. Um, so also, um, you, in, in these days, it's become quite trendy to, to, even though we're speakers and we prefer to have in real person conferences, yeah. uh, the idea of webinars and, and you, with your energy, mm. um, I can imagine. But for those of us who have to maybe do more webinars than we're used to, yeah. In any event, what would be some of your secret tips and tricks for making a webinar successful or engaging? Yeah. Oh man, this is one of my hot topics. I even, I even tried in 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 your love of the portmanteau with your artificial empathy. I even tried to uh, 
create my own portmanteau of, of webinar because it's a weird word webinar it's like first off we don't talk about the web that much and no. seminar has never been sexy so <laughs> so the, the the fact that that's already a portmanteau <laughs> and then you're going to portmanteau on top of that is just too much for a human brain <laughs> so i invented the term uh, which i've taken off my linkedin because it just freaked people out game NR. So a game, because I'm all about games, and I think people remember uh, things better when it's a competition, and, and also, fun. and it's fun. And I, I'm all about helping brands have more fun. But a webinar, whether it's a whether you do a lot of games or not, the whole nature. What I find is we have to think of the customer journey there. When do people? do webinars a lot of them are at lunchtime but then you have people who are not in new york and yeah. so lunchtime is different for everyone a lot of you know when i do them in for madrid folk they're at 7 p.m spanish time 6 p.m uk london. london time um and i've now all of my webinars start with alcohol um i i always am drinking a, usually a spanish beer if it's in spain or portuguese if it's uh, uh, from uh, Portugal, my, my football team are from Portugal. Obviously, Wolves, um, Wolverhampton Wanderers. We are Wolves. Uh, no, but w- first off, how do you make people feel comfortable instantly? I think brands should always start with that. Instantly, people feel comfortable with me. A, them knowing that it's an interactive thing, that they can just literally interrupt me at any time. I do that in my live sessions with people throwing balls because they know that that's something that's in their hand and that's going to get a response because so it's going to literally in, physically stop me. So in the conference, you're speaking in session and, yeah. and you hand out balls to everybody? Yeah, so everyone's got a ball and I, I usually always have one with me. It's probably, I'll, I'll get out my balls for this you right now, the Mentor. Audio version. <laughs> yes. And it's yeah. not those ones you're yes. thinking of. They are ginger. Hold on. Um, would like your hair. No, that, that was a notebook. Um, but no, no. I always have like what they're essentially is branded stress balls. And um, people, when at the right time, I get people to vote on whether they think something is ballsy. It's a brave, actionable, likable, long-lasting, surprising, and eucentric. It's just another one about my acronyms. But it really empowers people, A, to be on the edge of their seat listening because they're waiting for their time. I hate to admit it, but we're all selfish. And if you know that there's going to be a time when you get to do something physical, like a, it, it, you're on your edge looking for that time. So I drop in little hints of, and I build little moments of tension of like we're probably 10 to 15 minutes away from X or uh, in the time we have left Y. And then, and then people think there's a game show coming. There's a question and answer coming. Mm-hmm. There's... But then you layer them upon story after story and then drop in little reminders of what you're learning along the way. I think, I, I think everything I learned um, about webinars I learned in kindergarten because I think I, in kindergarten you have to like sit in the right place and you have to do this. But you, you also, it's fun. You know to get these kindergarten people's attention, these kids' attention, you've got to be having fun at every moment or they're just going to you know, go back to sort of spitting on each other so even if if um, you know you, it's hard to keep kids attention the same thing goes for webinars and the the challenge there are two types of challenges I'm thinking of one is nothing as in no response they are they're all sitting and then they have a different culture and they're not very they're very shy behind their typewriters they don't like to communicate and the other one is the 
diatribe. The tweet wall with just nonsense going on. Hey, the chicken was horrible at lunch. Um, it's too cold in here. And so y those type of tweet walls can just mm. be a, a, a wash of too many things. And then the other one is silence. Mm. So what tips can you, what would you give us as guidelines to avoid both of those problems? So first off, like, I want to know, I want to turn it back on you for one quick second. What do you think about uh, Twitter chats? Do you, are, are you always intrigued by them? Do you, do you participate in them often? Do you on Twitter? On, yeah, Twitter on, chats. Yeah, no, for sure. I, I, so uh, offline, if you will, in general, I, I enjoy some conversations on Twitter. Yeah. So, of course, there's some good and there's some bad. And I can choose to, as an individual, to participate in them. When you're managing a webinar and you're inviting interactivity, tweet, Twitter is a, an avenue. You can also use Chatter or, or Slack or other mm. ways or the interface inside the webinar, WebEx, whatever. Yes, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, for me, obviously, I've taken part in, in Twitter chats. My, the, my first book, Newsjacking, was written all about using Twitter in real time. Mm -hmm. But I, I still don't think... It's a perfect forum, uh, a Twitter chat for the way our brains work. I think it, it, it is what it is, and we're kind of conditioned because we love Twitter and we're loyal to it. Yeah. But when I, you know, there was, um, there was, um, uh, oh gosh, it'll come out of my brain now. Um, but there was a, a web conferencing format that had it divided into four. It got major traction amongst the marketing community two years ago, and if you liked, if I liked what you mentor were saying, when we had a little a four-person chat with Mark Schaefer and Ann Handley, I could just press this button and it would float high fives up to you. Oh, nice. Um, the name will come to me in a second, or we'll put it in the show notes. But it, it, it's no longer there anymore. But it was a beautiful little web conferencing uh, format. You could only have the four big faces. Right. Um, but I, I, I'm chatting with one of the big players in web conferencing right now um, because they have this room that has this interactive whiteboard um, and uh, I can do a webinar and I can draw diagrams and I can have live um, sort of whiteboard feedback um, and I'm loving being able to implement a lot of these ways to get people to respond in, in a way that is beyond just their voice because right. I feel like when I did the one in Madrid um, for a big consulting firm last week I felt like 20% of them were willing to speak on the microphone and interrupt with me 67% were willing to ch type something into the chat but I wanted something that everyone could feel something easy something easy like giving me a big uh, big uh, mano y mano high five <laughs> would have been perfect mm -hmm. just so I had some feedback that my retelling the story of how they decided who was the best player in the world Ronaldo or Messi and they decided by putting cigarettes in the Messi to clean up the world you know because so, people drop cigarettes a lot they, they cleaned up cigarettes and by putting them in the Messi slot you're voting for Messi by clean, putting your mm -hmm. cigarette there or the Ronaldo slot little things where I felt like I bet you they love this mm -hmm. but I don't know for sure mm -hmm. so the webinar is an imperfect beast just like the word is imperfect mm -hmm. but the reality of me taking up your time on a on a evening in Madrid when the weather's nice 
I want to make that so much like a pub chat. Mm -hmm. And I know that I have done that. And I know I haven't always succeeded to the levels that I wanted, but I think it's because the technology is not perfect yet. Right. So I'm working and talking to tech companies often. Mm -hmm. One's even in my neighborhood, and they want to allow me to use their room technology and test it out and the digital whiteboard and the instant response. I think there's ways that you and I can travel less. Mm -hmm because I, I would love to just travel one week max out of the month and maybe hit two or three countries in that time. Um, but I think we can still engage as performers um, from our garden offices. Yeah, that's brilliant. I love this idea of making sort of small, easy, quick, winny kind of interactions for the more timid. You know, it's like an Instagram story. You put a like and it flies up and, you know, that yeah. kind of a thing. Imagine just having four options there. Like um, like if, we're ta if, if, we, if you and I are, are doing, um, for the sake of argument, we're doing a webinar... Anne Hanley, Mark Schaefer, yourself, and myself, there's a little moment where we get audience feedback of, okay, all four of our pictures have just become interactive. You can draw on the face of the person you're connecting with the most, and you know, because she's brilliant, Aunt Hanley would get mustaches drawn. She'd get people doing little, little flames on her glasses and stuff, and then you and I would have like crickets like no one would be because she's just really uh, has a crazy use of language um, that would just be in that one instance That's of course <laughs> Mr. Schaefer would get plenty of good things too yeah, exactly. alright so uh, John it's been great to have you on the show um, we've got Thank so many more me. things we could ha talk on How and so shout out to Mark and Han how can someone track you down follow you find out what you're talking about so uh at the moment uh and that's changing in the next month thanks to encouragement from my people uh linkedin is the best place um to so find me on linkedin j-o-n-b-u-r-k-h-a-r-t um i'm exactly that on twitter um and that plus tbc uh, which could stand for truly ballsy content if you want it to or the burkhart consulting uh if 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 you don't like balls or um, to be continued or to be continued or trends brands um content um trends brands culture i've come up with a hundred different things that tbc stand for so then you could check back in the month of april when my developer finishes my new site which will be tbc global dot wait for it keynote speaker live l-i-v-e so beautiful thank you john thank you mentor Thanks for having listened to this recording of the Minter Dialogue Show. You'll find the show notes and other blog posts on MinterDial.com. If you enjoyed the show, please head over to iTunes to give a rating and review. And to finish, here's a song I wrote with Stephanie Singer, A Convinced Man. Anticipating the thrill of your intellect, maybe.
world's best-known investor and Wall Street expert Warren Buffett once said, Wall Street is the only place that people ride to in a Rolls Royce to get advice from those who take the subway. Mr. Buffett's quote is remarkably accurate, but how many people would rather receive advice from him than someone simply guessing? Welcome to Buy, Hold, Sell, your single source for Wall Street knowledge and profitable guidance. Please join me, Todd Schoenberger, and fellow trader Tobin Smith, as well as host Veronica Dudo for a podcast known to move the needle for investors. Tobin and I are seasoned Wall Street executives with deep investment experience, and we are prepared to share our advice to those who choose to listen. Download Buy, Hold, Sell today on the Evergreen Podcast Network or your favorite podcast channel.